Let's look at Reformation through. It's an unlikely topic. Because when you think about being changed, this is not one of the things you think about per se for change. Because change ultimately in the year of Reformation is something that is positive, right? I was being formed by the world into something I shouldn't be. And, you know, by God's spirit throughout the year, being changed through his word of God into what more like what I should be. And that's exciting for believers. But this particular topic doesn't seem like it lends itself to that type of work. But nevertheless, here we are. So this week, we're going to look at Reformation. I can barely even Reformation through. By way of. In the direction of. Bondage. Reformation through bondage. Let's go to Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 14. You already know, right? Because we're in Exodus. We're talking about bondage. At the formation of the nation of Israel, when they went from one family with 12 sons to an entire people group, um, picks up in Exodus where they grew into a people group from one family with 12 sons under the, uh, the nation and the empire, I should say, of Egypt. And at this point in Egypt, their numbers grew so large that the Egyptians began to get a little um, uneasy about the number of them. And then when the Pharaoh that was kind to Joseph died and a new Pharaoh came in, um, they realized that we need to enslave these Egyptians because they're not, I mean, these uh, Israelites, because they're not true Egyptians um, before they outnumber us. In essence, we need to oppress them, have them, keep them before they, they, their numbers grow too large and then they take over. In my opinion, a very fair assessment. Yeah. Um, or you could have just kicked them out, you know. That, that goes on too, you know. Oh, it's too many of y'all get out, you know. Um, you didn't necessarily have to enslave them, but to each their own, all right. Um, after many generations of slavery, um, uh, God saw fit that now his baby is ready to be born. And he says, give me my child, Israel, um, he's in the womb long enough. Now, what I like about the children of Israel's story is that their place of development started off good, and then it went bad. Similar to a womb, the place of development for a baby in a womb starts off great. Plenty of space for this tiny microscopic individual. And then over time, the baby gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and some, something's going to have to give, okay? So we both can't occupy this space. Yeah. And so the baby has to get out into a brand new world. But before that, things got extremely uncomfortable. And the baby may not know that things are so uncomfortable here that life as you know it would cannot continue. But the baby is unaware of this. So as you, as a parent or a mom, tries to push this baby out, 
the baby is reluctant. No, no, I don't want to go. Number one, that is too small. Number two, what is out there? Number three, don't you cut my umbilical cord. Number four, stop smacking me on my butt. I want to go back in. I hate it out here. Baby is unaware the dangers of staying in this tight, cramped space and that it's not feasible that life can continue there. Similar to the children of Israel, they were unaware that it's not feasible that life can continue there. It's just not possible. Ultimately, what's going to happen is you're going to have a, a, a coup, a rebellion, all right? And you are under weaponized, okay? You have nothing but nothing, okay? You make bricks, all right? I, don't, I can't imagine why they will give you a ton of tools for that. You just need mud and water and a sand everywhere. So, you know, you really much are, you don't have any weapons, all right? So you're pretty much going into a gunfight with your fists, and this is a bad idea. So in essence, once you grow so large that you want to fight against your captors, you're going to lose. Yeah. You're going to lose greatly. So the father in his infinite wisdom and just common sense says, y'all need to get up out of there before things get really bad. They are unaware of this, similar to a baby in a womb. They're like, what do you mean? It's just getting cozy. We just start having the kind of numbers where we can make some demands. Sure, we might lose a couple thousand in the process, but ultimately we got so many that we can start making a difference. And they had plans, I'm sure, of forming a revolt or something. I don't know. But the way countries and empires work, it seems about right because it's always the same. The disenfranchised continue to grow as labor until finally they revolt. And this happens empire after empire, nation after nation, Gaza Strip after Gaza Strip. No one should be surprised, right? You got one or two options, fight and win or stay and die. This is universal for any oppressed group, yeah? Fight and win or stay and die. Now, as African-Americans, our ancestors know very well the idea of fighting and winning. But that fight and win also comes with great sacrifice. The joy of our fight was that it was civil rights. Hello? So we use the legal system, in essence, to afford us an opportunity to be free. Right? Most nations don't have that ability you're going to have to fight with your hands, and you have nothing, right? So Israel is now pushed out, um, and they're off into the wilderness. You know, Moses comes and says, let my people go according to the Father. And there's some scuffle going on with the Pharaoh and back and forth, back and forth, and, and they're finally free, all right? They're out in the wilderness, and things are going crazy, all right? One problem here is the, the, the Pharaoh and his army is chasing them. They deal with that. The other problem is that it's dark and they can't see. They deal with that. It's hot and they're burning up. They deal with that. Um, now they need water. They need food. It's just problem after problem. And it to me, I feel like, but didn't you know where you were going? Right. See, what I love about the Lord is he didn't say, let my people go to the land that I promised them flowing with milk and honey. No, he did not. He said, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. He told you where you were going. He showed you what lies ahead. 
right? And at the onset, you was like, bet. It's better out there than it being here, right? I'm all for it. We cross that wilderness, find some other land, make ourselves a home. And God was like, exactly, I got a spot for you, fret not. But before that, it was just go to the wilderness and worship. Right. What did you expect to find in the wilderness? Nothing. So you got a whole nation of folk out here with nothing. There's going to be consequences and repercussions. Right? Everybody is not always on one accord. Somebody's like, let's do it for the kingdom. I'd be like, bump this kingdom. I am hot. I am tired. My feet hurt. Ain't nobody. You ain't even got no kids. I got to carry five kids on my back. You don't even understand the kind of life I live. No, no, no. You, you have food. You only need a piece of bread. I need five pieces of bread. You know, everybody. I'm sure you could say, let's keep going. Look at you. You don't even have a family just carrying your little knapsack by yourself. Look at your burdens looking light. Right? Problematic. So in Exodus chapter 14, verse 12. Let's look at verse, go up a little bit to verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt so with us to bring us up out of the land of Egypt? Is it not that we, is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Okay, stop right there. The children of Israel make this complaint quite often. They continue anytime a situation gets difficult to think about how they should have stayed where they were. Hello? Uh-huh, some of y'all do that. The father presents something to you that looks like opportunity, some solutions to some current problems, a chance to advance in an area of your life that you're looking forward to change coming. And it's all good until it's not good, and then it's, I think I need to move out. I think I need to get another job. I think I need to buy another car. I think I need to get out of this friendship. Get out of, everything is good until it's not good. This is a human problem, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that we could be so self-centered yeah. where everything revolves around us that any of our discomfort is the only thing that we see as important and not our necessary role in the scheme of things, yeah. right? But this no longer serves me, so I'm done. And this is harder than what I thought, so I'm done. And I did not count this, so I'm finished. There's no longer in our society any idea of fortitude, persistence, stamina, long-suffering, there's no idea of pressing through unless you benefit from it. And then that only goes as far as your nose because you can only see that far to know that you're not benefiting from it. You only know you're not benefiting from it right now. 
you only see it's not helping you right now. You only notice it doesn't feel good now. It's not benefiting now. It's not adding to your life now. You have no idea how that thing might bless you later. You're incapable of seeing it, especially when you're uncomfortable. When you're uncomfortable, for like, what is the point? Uh-uh, no, mm-mm. Because pain has a way of breaking us down, does it not? Yeah. It's like, uh-uh, I quit. Whatever I was going to get, I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> In pure bar, we start shaking. They be like, don't come out. Stay. Ten more counts. Ten. Nine. You got to sit there telling yourself, I want to be fine. I want to be fine. I want to be fine. Bump it. I don't want to be fine. I'm fine enough. And you just come on out. <laughs> I'm like, all right, these legs, fine enough. I'm out. Bump it. <laughs> they say, you're so close. Yes. Yes. They tell you that the pain is an indicator that you're getting what you want. Yes. Excuse me? <laughs> the pain that you're experiencing is an indicator that you're getting the desired thing. Who would have thought that pain indicates that you're actually in the process of getting what you wanted. Babies are like that. Muscles are like that. Diets are like that. Diamonds are like that. Jobs are like that. Hello? Oil is like that. Olive oil is like that. And you can just go on and on and on and on and on. Pain is an indicator of a process of getting the desired product. So when you live a life your main goal is to avoid all forms of pain whenever possible, what you're really telling yourself is, I do not want any goals accomplished. The world makes it very easy for you to have an alternative. You can't get along with the same se- with opposite sex. Here's an alternative lifestyle for you. You can't make enough money? Well, do this illegal hustle. You can't find a house? Well, lie on the application. Hello, somebody. You can't find a job? Lie on your resume. You need some extra money? Lie on your taxes. You hungry but don't want that? Buy whatever you want. The world is full of opportunities to avoid pain, right? At least that's what they tell you. Take this pill, you'll lose weight. Take this shot, you'll lose. Me and uh, Danny were talking about the shot that wanted to give me, um, when want me to take Wagovi, the, the medicine to make you lose weight, your diabetic insulin. My doctor felt like I needed to lose another 20 pounds. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was really totally this size. Maybe, maybe 10 pounds heavier. He was like, no, you need to lose 20 more pounds. I was like, oh, say less, doc. Sign me up. When I found out, since I'm not obese, that I had to pay out of pocket for this particular prescription. <laughs> How much is it? About $1,200 a month. <laughs> the pain in my pocket says, nope. And what I find out is the only thing the medicine does is make you nauseous. I don't need no help with that. And if you're going to make me sick in order to not eat, then I just might as well be hungry. Same, same. Being hungry is free. Being hungry is free. Lap band surgery, same thing. 
Oh, we're going to just cut out your stomach, squeeze it up, wrap it in a band, put a net on it, tie it up, do something to it. And after that, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to lose weight like no problem. Yes, but you're also going to be sick as a dog. For years and years and years, your stomach, you're going to have stomach. Do you know how hard it is? you know how bad of a life you have when you have digestive problems? Because you need food to endure life. Hello, somebody. And now the thing you need to have strong life is the very thing that makes you sick. And you choose to make yourself sick in order to have life so that you could be vain. I don't, I don't understand. Because anybody that had it will tell you they sick all the time. Oh, I can't, I can't, ooh, I drunk some water, ooh, can't eat nothing else, uh-oh. Throwing up, diarrhea all the time, running back and forth to the hospital. Why? Because you're not getting in enough nutrients. So the world makes you feel like this is the easiest way to get around it, only to find out that that too has pain. Why? Because this is a fallen world. Ain't nothing coming without pain. Where you think you at, heaven? No. but we can become so used to looking for another way, an alternative to make it easier, that we forget the goals that are necessary. No? You don't want to help me here? The children of Israel are telling Moses, we told you when we were back in Egypt that we didn't want to come out here. Let me go, let's go to where they said that at. Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 5, excuse me. Exodus chapter 5, verse 21. This is funny. Look at verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge you, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. What'd you say? You tell me you want to stay here? You're mad because Moses made Pharaoh unhappy. And he took it out on you. Gave him extra work to do. Made their task harder over and over and over again. And the Egyptians kept, the Israelites kept saying, well, just leave us here. Leave us alone, Moses. You are not helping us. Again. You cannot have anything, any goal without pain. You really think Moses is going to walk up to Pharaoh and he's going to be like, that's fine. You didn't anticipate a war of some type, some type of struggle. You didn't recognize that that was going to be a thing. Hello? What I like to do in preparation for a goal is set my mind not on the goal itself, but on the pain in getting to that goal. I know, because for me, the goal in front of me doesn't always motivate me enough to go through the pain. But wrapping my mind around what I'm getting ready to experience tells me, okay, you already knew this was coming, keep going, right? I start preparing for Tuesday's Pure Bar class on Monday night. You're going to wake up and you're going to be in pain on Tuesday morning. 
Your legs gonna hurt, your abs gonna hurt, you gonna sweat buckets. Just know, in my, bear in mind, you gonna have thigh workouts, butt workouts, ab workouts, arm workouts. You gonna stretch and be in pain, you gonna move and be in pain. It's gonna be horrible for 45 minutes. You are gonna shake and tremor and you're gonna be exhausted. And I tell myself this on Monday night. Monday night, I come to grips with the pain. Not the goal, not the excitement of, oh, when I'm done, not the size zero, I don't know what size people want to be, not that, I just come to grips with the pain. And I tell myself, no matter what, you better finish that class. I get myself ready for that, because I know me, I'm going to want to walk out. You be like, I'm sick, my head hurt, I don't know, I'm out. Right? For some reason, they didn't wrap their mind around what it was going to cost. Do you understand? Yeah. To have that. If it was me, and thank God it's not me, as soon as these people told me that they could not handle the discomfort of being delivered, set free, I would have told them, stay here. If you can't handle the pain associated with getting free, then you can't handle the pain associated with be being delivered too. Y'all don't want to help me today. Okay, let's just, because it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You got one enemy that doesn't want to let you go, and that's going to cause pain. You can't handle that, then you can definitely cannot handle the enemy that's going to stop you from moving forward. Do you want me to say it again with your silly selves? If you cannot handle the enemy, the giant, the demon that doesn't want you to be free and the amount of pain and torture that that process puts you under, then you cannot handle neither the idea of pain in order to go where you're supposed to go. You're delivered from. There's only one part of deliverance. Then you have to be delivered to, right? If you are buckling at the idea of being delivered from, because it's so painful, oh my God, Pharaoh, oh my God, then I know for a fact when I get you out in this wilderness and things go bad, you're going to be complaining the whole time. Now I'm stuck with you out here. Dadgummit. I don't even know. See, that's why the Lord ain't make me God, okay? Because I'm like, uh-uh, you do not have the right mindset for this. No, it's not happening. But he just drug them on through, kicking and screaming the whole way. And then when he couldn't get them to go any further, he just said, just stay here till you die. I've used you as far as I can use you, and you don't desire to go any further. But we kind of knew that because as soon as you're hit with obstacles and problems, you have the tendency to back up. Oh, I hope somebody can hear me today. I hope somebody, I pray that somebody that's not here can listen to the podcast, okay? You don't even recognize your own patterns of failure. I had somebody come to the class, and I said, good, you here? Uh, they was out of, didn't want to be there, okay? And I was like, I thought you wanted to be here. This is voluntary, per se, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't want to be here. I said, well, the only reason I know you don't want to be here is because you, don't, you, you like the lifestyle. That's the only reason I can imagine. The person was like, yeah, pretty much. And then I got him with this. You must have somebody new in your life. And they just kind of grinned and chuckled. 
I said, because that's the only time you're not sure if you want to be free is when you got a new relationship. And when the relationship is over, hello, somebody, now you want to come back to Jesus. Now you can envision yourself being free. You understand. Now you can see yourself set free and delivered. Boy, as soon as there's somebody in your face cheesing and grinning, oh, I don't even know I'm struggling. I'm struggling. You don't even know your own patterns. As soon as you ain't got no money, oh, I'm depressed. I'm struggling. I'm depressed. Bump this. I want to die. As soon as you got some money, oh, you know what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. God is great. I'd be like, oh, you ain't fighting no wars with me. It's the truth. You don't even recognize your own cycles. I'd be looking at you like, you do know you're doing the thing again. I know, it always seems to happen to me. My life always seemed to go like this. But when the income tax money came in and you was like, oh, my goodness, I do not remember you being so depressed. I don't remember you being so oppressed. I don't remember you being so unhappy about your entire life situation. I remember you having dreams and hopes of buying a new car and putting money aside. And, and oh, oh, life seemed good and hopeful to you. When you got somebody in your life, it's, oh, possibilities. I love the Lord. You fall into sin, but it's okay. The Lord forgive me. Oh, I still love the Lord. Hallelujah. Then when y'all break up, <sighs> why am I so lonely? I'm always by myself. Nobody ever picks me for anything. I can't do this right. I can't do that right. I can't do anything right. When is somebody going to be there for me? I just be looking at you like a little white girl mean when she's like that. Like you, you was something else. You was you don't even see it. See, at least you see it for yourself. You understand? And have the dignity to hide it. When you know you're doing the thing, I'm just tripping because I'm broke. I'm just tripping because we broke up. I'm just tripping. You know, when you know you're just tripping because of that, at least have the dignity and aware with all to say, you know what, but I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. You at least try to hide it to yourself. You're like, we will not be cast down, soul. Have some dignity. Act like you know how to be a Christian a little bit. You don't even know how to be. I forgot how to be a Christian. Well, number one, we don't act like this when things go bad. But y'all just be. My life is over. Get up. Pick your arms up. Stop doing it. I'm just going through some things, you know. And I love this phrase that you all give me. I have a lot going on. And really, it's just one thing. It's just this one added thing that made you look at all the other things you didn't like. And now all the other things that you didn't like is now a lot of things. But it was just one thing. 
And all I got to do is find the one thing that really just happened. I solved the one thing, then magically, everything is hopeful again. You know, the Lord dealt with me. Oh, did he now? Did he deal with you? Did he deal with you or did he just solve that one thing? Right? Same system, same pattern over and over and over again. I'm not lying. This is what we do. And then when you say this, I just want you to come into my life. I just want you to come and sit beside me for like 48 to 72 hours. And I just want you to see what a lot going on really looks like. I just want you to see. So you'll stop using the phrase irreverently, okay? I mean, what? I mean, that's your life. No, 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 no. That's your life. My lot going on includes you. You got your nerve. Well, that's just a pastor life. Oh, but it's also your life I'm carrying. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. And I'll be like, I don't even understand. Let me show you a lot going on. You, your mind would spin. And I don't want you, then I want you, because you ain't going to be able to change your heart off of that. You're going to just change your phrase to, I have some things going on. <laughs> From now on, just tell me that, okay? Make a mental note. I ain't going to go to pass what I have a lot going on. I'm going to go with I have some things going on. Because it's irreverent to tell me you got a lot going on. You don't even know a lot. And the fact that you count money as a lot. When your father owns a thousand hills with cattle on it. And he tells you, you don't have to worry about never going without. And you still feel like not having a lot of money or enough money is too much for you to bear. You are insane. If somebody told me, you ain't got to worry about money the rest of your life, I'd be like, bet. And do be like, bet. Well, you ain't got none right now. I know all my accounts is on zero, but it, it'll be all right. Hopefully, ain't nobody gonna ask for nothing till then. Ooh, somebody pay for my lunch. Thank you, Jesus. Because you know it ain't nothing in that bank account. Hallelujah. Won't he do it? Now, I still ain't got no money, but see, you'd be the person that when somebody else bless you, so you ain't got to use the money that you don't have. You'd be the one mad that you ain't got the money. Why would I do that? <laughs> Clearly, this is the blessing. <laughs> like, I'm just mad. I always have to ask for money. <laughs> Are you mad that you have to ask and somebody gives it to you? Are you mad that you have to ask and it just appears? Your mom and your dad help you? Are you mad that your, your pastor gives you what you ask for? Are you mad that your sister or your sibling had to help you? Oh, does that make you so upset? And that's why you can't trust God. Just be honest. It ain't the money that you want. You want the type of appeal that looks like you made money for yourself. And until you recognize you can't do none of that for yourself, you're going to forever be broke. Did you make a good decision on your tithes and offerings? Did you make it a good decision? Was it a balanced decision? Did you count it down to the tenth and the five? I'm so glad your wisdom has prevailed in that. I have a lot going on. A lot going on. Be pulling up old relationships that ain't been right for a while. 
you know, because my cousin five years ago, we never, we never settled that discussion. It was out. I mean, like, you don't even talk to that person every day. But no, I'm just thinking about it. Well, stop thinking about it. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, you know, my aunt, I never really reconciled with that. So, so what you're going to do right now is in the midst of things that you already have going wrong, now is the time that you're deciding that you want to handle this other problem as well. You just want to keep stacking stuff up because you don't want to deal with the real issue. Leave your aunt, leave your cousin, whoever that is, leave that, leave that aunt alone. Worry about yours. You the one broke. If you would stop spending so much time talking to work out problems and actually go to work. Because it's, it's hard for me to imagine this. There's a shortage in labor, but you got a shortage in your pocket. I don't. The laws of macroeconomics say that's not supposed to be there. I don't have enough money. They don't have enough laborers. There's just certain jobs you don't want to do. So stop saying, I don't make enough money. Throw that phrase away. Say, I'm only making the amount of money that I prefer to make. And currently that's not enough, but that's all that I prefer. I prefer not to make any more money than this unless there's a better opportunity. Say that. Stop saying, I don't make enough. You do. You do. Because you chose to be broke. Let me tell you something. My dad, I've all, this, I got my work ethic from my mom and my dad. If there was ever a need in this house, overtime, triple time, they was in it hustling together, both of them. Do you understand? I had it good. I never had a need, ever. Never always had food, always had clothing, always had shelter. And most times I could even get what I want if I was patient. Right? Truly blessed. Then I'd be looking at new parents. I'd be like, what the heck is you doing? Work at McDonald's. Work anywhere. Get some money in your pocket. Go get. Then I look at non-parents. What is wrong with you? You are single. Get some money in your pocket. Pocket. Who are you trying to impress? You have no one. You're single. Get some money in your pocket. You 20, 30 years old, broke as a joke. That doesn't make any sense because this is when you got all the energy. Your 20s and 30s, you got nothing but energy. Could work in the morning, work in the evening, work the next day, keep working. Do you do an overtime triple shift? Oh no, not you. Young and lazy. See, you don't know how much energy you got until you get my age, just a little bit older than that, just a smidge older than that. You be like, ooh, I can't even imagine. <laughs> you want me to work, whoa. I can't do that. And I'm just a smidge older than you, right? But then I do remember being your age. I was busting tables. I was on a bartender. I was going to work in a blockbuster, Kroger. I was carrying the big old trays. <clears throat> Here go your drinks. I was, I had five jobs. At one. I did not care. I like the idea of growing up. I liked the idea of growing up. Some of you have forgotten that there was joy in maturing. Yeah. 
and you are retarded in your thinking because you prefer to be a child and never have to experience the pain of maturing. Hello? I even know why I'm over there. Let me get back to my point. Romans 5. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. When you're there, say amen. For as by one for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign, also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The law, I think Paul at one point says that there's no sin apart from the law. There's iniquity, but no sin. Uh, sin has its power in the law. Its ability to bring forth death comes by way of law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you do this or that, then there's death. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the law is necessary. What I like about this verse is it doesn't just say it's necessary. It said that it came to increase the trespass. And there are different versions of that line, okay, different ways that people have used it based off of the original Greek. Um, and it could be to increase sins all the more, trying to not sin, you end up sinning more, possibly, or the weight of it, right? It makes sin and, and the, the, the weight of sin even more heavy, right? So now it's not, it's not just that I told you don't do it and you disobeyed. Now I told you don't do it and according to the law, the consequences of doing it are the following, right? And you like to think that if I just said don't do it and you felt bad, that that would be enough. Oh, they said don't do it and then I did it. Oh, I feel really bad. You're like, yeah, that's all I need. No. no. No, it's not, unfortunately. Unfortunately, in, watch this. You don't need consequences to motivate you to stop. You need consequences to mature you to stop. You don't need consequences to motivate you to stop. You need consequences to mature you to stop. It's the reality. The consequences are never really that inspirational in terms of you ceasing. Because the pain of the consequence, the last time you did it, the remembrance of that pain becomes minimal upon the approach of the desire. So if consequences were there like just to make you say, oh, that hurts so bad, I don't want to do it again. It doesn't work when the desire is still present because the desire that is still present will still 
minimize the amount of pain. So you'll do it again. Does that make sense? Huh? So this means that the law can never make you righteous. Y'all don't want to help me today. It means it can never change your desires. The law and the consequences thereof can't change that. Right? It's not designed to do that. What it can do, hopefully, right, is mature you to the point where you no longer want that particular thing. Yeah. And most people try to avoid consequences. Again, not recognizing that if you want any goal accomplished, it's going to take pain. Right? You should own up to the consequences because apparently the Father in heaven decided that you need this to stop wanting this. Not because of the pain of the consequence, but because the consequences matured you in thought. Look at how many consequences you suffered in your life from sin and how it has matured your thought about that particular sin. And the ones that you have not been delivered for, from, excuse me, um, then it's because them consequences weren't enough. It's not they weren't hard enough. You haven't had enough of them. It could be quantity or quality. Some of them can be really hard because y'all are some tough cookies. Right? Right? But you need more consistently over and over and over and over and over. You go, why is it always happening to me? <laughs> over and over and over and over. When is it going to stop doing this in my life? Over and over and over. And when am I ever going to over and over? And why can't I ever over and over and over and over and over and over? In hopes that you mature to see that you don't want that. Now, this, this is my main point. What I find is the problem with bondage, similar to the children of Israel, also in the book of Romans, is that people don't want to be free. Go to Romans chapter 6. Skip on over to Romans chapter 6. Right? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. This scripture is saying, we told you you were going to the wilderness. Your baptism was us telling you, welcome to the wilderness. You got baptized, got saved, and was like, yay, it's heaven. No, it's not. You are now doing the death that you were supposed to do that you don't have to do. You're going to do it now. Like People were not clear about what salvation is. All right? What it does to your life slash death. No one told you that you have to like it. 
that you have to want the goal. Do you understand? What are some goals of salvation? Heaven. What else? Don't blurt them all at one time. Relationship. I hear you, baby. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Huh? Somebody say Huh? Transformation. Peace. And living forever. Heaven. You can live forever in hell. So live in heaven. All right. Anything else? Let's make that plain. Any, huh? It, oh, suffering. Suffering. So what are the goals? Huh? Godly character. Yeah. These are wonderful goals of salvation. You know, the promises that come with this. You're supposed to love those. You're supposed to want those so bad that you don't want anything else. And until that's there, you're not saved. You're just being a good person according to biblical morality. And so I keep pulling on you to suffer like a Christian. Keep pulling on you to die to yourself. Keep pulling on you. And you keep, I don't want to go. I told you I didn't want to go. I said, I left you where I found you in the first place. I thought we had an understanding that we died to ourselves. Well, I don't like the way she talked to me. When did you wake up? You're supposed to be dead. Dead people don't have feelings. Well, I don't think it's fair. Dead people don't think. <laughs> Do you see where I'm going with this? I'm, I'm building you to this point, okay? If you die to yourself is what Paul is saying. What are you talking about? Ain't you dead? No, I really think salvation is about truly having balance in God and knowing that he forgives you. And because of that, you can start accomplishing some of the things that you have in life. And the Holy Spirit empowers you um, to, to be an excellent a character witness for those. No, shut up. Let me tell you what. You died. You're dead. Why is everything so hard? Um, you're dead. Dead bodies are hard. You're dead. I don't know why I can't do this. You're dead. Dead people can't. <laughs> but 99.9% .9 of your sin is wrapped around the idea that you think you're living for yourself. But according to the Christian mandate, you living for yourself died. And now you live for God. <clears throat> and that is hard for you as you take off your clothes to climb in the bed of that man. Because you think it's about you. And that this is just, oh, the Lord will forgive me. Do you recognize what you are doing? You are indicating that you never died to yourself. Self is very much so alive. Well, I just feel like I'm going to run because I don't like how they talk to me. But you're dead. Nobody can, you can talk to dead people however they want. They're dead. What are they going to do? Say something? Nope. Say they going to make a punk out of me? Yes, because you're dead. No? A lot of people want to turn. You want to turn your salvation, certificate, your baptism certificates back in? You can bring them back up to me because I don't think you're about that life. And that's what he's trying to say.
The problem is that the children of Israel, in our example, they preferred Pharaoh. Paul goes on. He keeps, in, in Romans and Galatians, I can't go through them all. I hope I hit the major ones. But read all chapter 6 and all chapter 4 and 5 of Galatians. It's pretty amazing. Uh, verse 7 of, chapter, of Romans chapter 6 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus, to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who, as those who have been brought from death to life. He says you're supposed to be living like you died to yourself. And you're living for God. Did your job fire you? Yes. Live for God. Did you get an eviction notice? Yes. Live for God. Did you get a bad doctor's notice? Yes. Live for God. Do your knees hurt? Live for God. You got diabetes? Live for God. You got back pain? Live for God. Whatever situation you have, it is apparent by God's sovereignty over all that that is where he wants your life to be. Amen. So what you're really telling me is you'll live for God as long as it's not over here. And I'll live for God as long as it's not like this. And I'll live for God as long as he doesn't do this. And that's where all your little temper tantrums come in. Because I'll be trying to serve. Every time I'm trying to do the right thing, I don't understand. So now you just, just temper tantrum it all up. You're not living for God. You're living for yourself. And you just hope God approves. He is not going to approve of you living for yourself. That was the sin that started all of it in the beginning. You're not going to make him proud for making good decisions for yourself. Do you know you, this is Christianity? It's like born again. It's a whole new way of thinking and living. A whole new set of things. Did you know that? Because you're looking at me with this look of disdain as if you didn't know this. That's what some of y'all looking at me like that. And I can just see like your lip is twitching a little bit, but you don't know why. What you want me to do? Okay, I'm just the messenger. I'm just the messenger. This is what salvation is. Did you learn to be content in whatever station of life you're in? Did you give God glory? You see, everything he has your life at right now is where he wants it. Deal with that. You ain't tell me God want me to be broke? Yep. So God want me sick? Right now he do. Well, how long? I don't know. Guess you'll find out, won't you? So God just want me single, apparently. Is you married? No, then he wants you single. So God want me to stay married? Are you married? Yes, then he wants you married. 
It's real easy, isn't it? Yeah. But it's so hard to allow God to rule over your life. But when we get saved, we said he is Lord. That we just don't live in the direction we agree with. That whatever direction he puts us, we submit and we agree. The reason you got so much conflict in your life is because you are literally kicking against the prick. You're fighting against the direction that God is trying to take your life. Like not coming to the workshop. Fighting against the direction he wants to take your life. Here's a workshop that has something to do with your past and you has something to do with your past. Oh, it's not for me. See, I don't even make no sense. Makes zero sense. What you think I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the work workshop about being gay and then come back, come out gay again. No, you will not. Especially not in this house because you better be staring away from all the gay people. Uh -uh, I was using the gay class. I ain't messing around with you. Don't do that. That's not how that works. I mean, he literally walks your life right up to it, and then you decide something different. That's why I can say emphatically, you're going to fall into sin. Why? Because you're already choosing to eat of the knowledge of tree of good and evil on something simple as this. I think it looks good for me not to be there. How? How? See, when I spit it back to you, it seems dumb, don't it? Like my pastor, who has head over my life, in Jesus' name, who can always pull my card on random stuff, she had a workshop about my past, but I think I shouldn't go. Because it looks good to me that it's not necessarily for me. See? See, it don't make no sense. Right. You better stop living for yourself. I like how Paul puts it in, in, in Galatians. He, ends, he opens a, uh, chapter 3 with it, I think it was, and then he closes chapter 4 or 5 with it. He says, you need to keep in step with the Spirit of God. And he's, he's convicting the Galatian churches, we're going to look at it in a second, because they're not necessarily sinning per se, right, not fully, but he has a problem that they're not keeping in step with the direction that the Holy Spirit is taking them. They want to go back to something else. So he faults them for not flowing in the direction that apparently God is going. Because you got your own motives and agendas and itineraries. Because <sighs> I be thinking, who don't want to be free? And then I look at my church. Plenty of folk don't want to be free. Why would nobody want to be free? Because being free hurts. Being, being free hurts. And the only way, this is, this, 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 is, this, is, this is the catch, okay? If I tell you how great your life would be being free, it's not enough. It's not enough. Because you could never believe that. Because there's not one area in your life that is perfect. You've never had one perfect day. You never had one perfect week, one perfect month, one perfect year. You've never even had one perfect second. Everything about your life is imperfect. So why would I tell you that when you are free from this, everything is going to be wonderful. Your life is going to be great after this. It won't. 
not the way you're looking for it. In order to be free from bondage, you have to want the things that come with freedom more than anything else. I'll say it again. In order to be free from bondage, you can't just hate the sin. You can't just get tired of the consequences. You have to want the things that come with salvation more than anything else. It's hard for me to preach the kingdom of God moving forward to a bunch of people that don't really care about the kingdom of God. Check your offering today. Based off your bank account. It's hard. It's hard to say, come on, let's go. Let's do this. Let's give all we can. Let's move forward. Let's say, do you know, we, 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 things cost here. Yeah. Outreaches, activities, yes, stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And they be like, oh, but we paid for this. Oh, did you? <laughs> Our bank account's so low, we couldn't even order checks. Don't be asking for your check for your refunds. I don't, you don't have to wait. You're going to have lists. And then when we get the money to buy the checkbook, then we'll. I already put my money in. I, I, I'm, I'm tapped out. I'm not taking up a new offering. I'm just saying, for me, kingdom of God is first. And I serve his kingdom through worshiping him, through serving you, through serving this church, and through serving my community. All those come first. That comes before my own food. That comes before my own mortgage. That comes before my own car note, before my own insurance, before my own clothes. That comes first. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. You don't want to make it first. The Bible says seek the kingdom of God first no you keep seeking your life first and are confused why Christianity does not feel to you the way it appears that it feels to others because it feels good to us because we have a goal it's something we love more than this earth it's where I'm going I can't wait to get there facts facts Taylor almost ready she's gonna take over in a minute just between her and Shamar we were good to go, all right? We, we got a plan, all right? Yeah. Look at verse 15 of the same chapter 6 of Romans. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Stop right there. Obedience, obedience says there's something that a part of you doesn't want to do. Yeah. But you'll do it. Hmm? Hmm? Now look at every sin in your life. There's a part of you that doesn't want to do it. Slaves. 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 And he says, stop presenting yourself as a slave to sin. I love how Paul says, you know, it's, you know, uh, 
you know, oh, wretched man that I am, who could deliver me? You know, the thing I want to do, I can't do, and the thing I don't want to do, that's the thing that I keep doing. There's a war in my members. I love that rant, but I don't love it because he identifies with the war. I love it because he says, who can help me? God. I thank God for God who can deliver my soul from what? The struggle of knowing every time I want to do something good, I can also see a part of me that wants to do something bad. You soon as you say, I'm going to tell the truth, you can think of the lie also instantly. I can also say this. Oh, shut up. Don't think that. As soon as you say, I'm going to bless this person with this. Oh, I better not because what my account going to look like tomorrow. Instantly. Like instantly. Every time you mean to do well, evil is present. And Paul says it. It's like running in me constantly. There's a whole other war, a whole other law that's happening when I think good things to do. In me, the bad things are still there. He says, I can't stand it. But the deliverance he talks about is not from not having the bad thought. The deliverance he's talking about is something uniquely different. And it's called justification. Justification includes forgiveness, but it's not just forgiveness. Let's go to Galatians. Paul, in that previous chapter, you're going to go to Galatians 4. Paul, in the previous chapter of chapter 6, he talks about being under the law. And being under the law means that you're shut up under the inability to keep it. And consequently, to be the helpless slave of sin. When you're under the law, thou shalt not. Then being under that law also means that you're under the ability that you can't do it. If you try to do the law, then you find out you can't do the law, which now you've sinned against the law and now you have death. And he says, I brought the law to make sin and trespasses even weightier. Why? Why? Why don't you just say everything is cool? <laughs> Number one, he can't say everything is cool because everything is not like him. Hence, Satan. And if you're created in his image, then you have to mature into being like him and die to what is not being like him. That was the whole plan of maturity for mankind, right? Chapter 4 uh, of Galatians, in the previous chapter 3, he talks about how we are going through the law, and because of transgressions, um, it is necessary. In essence, that he, uh, the Father, in his infinite wisdom, Curse the entire earth um, through transgression with the hopes that the sons of God will show up and then bring liberty to all of creation. So let's talk about that a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he a child, is, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also... When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God set the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Go to verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to become once more? Skip over to verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. Skip down to verse 30. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, are, so brothers we are not children of the slave, but children of the free woman. Okay, let's, let's back this up. There's aspects here of comparing maturity and immaturity to being free and immaturity to being a slave. He says, so even if you're a son in a kingdom, you're the prince of your father's kingdom, until you mature, you have governors that kind of tell you what, what your dad did in situations like this. So you have to make the decision, but they're going to tell you what the decision needs to be, right? You're not just free as prince to just start doing random stuff, right? That's not there until you're the king, and you're not going to be the king. You're forever the prince, right? But until you're, as long as you are immature, the governors have to keep guiding you to, you shouldn't attack them. Those are our allies. No, it's good that you attack them. Don't raise their wages too high. You know, they got to give you the scoop on how things are done in your father's kingdom in hopes that you would mature, right? Until you mature, you're just being told what to do, like a slave, same, same. Until you mature in salvation, hello somebody, until you know what the Father wants you to do and have the ability to do it without the law, you are a slave. Okay, let me put it this way. Until you're able to both desire and perform what God wants you to desire and perform, not because it's a law, but because you agree you're still a slave. Let me do it again. If God says thou shalt not kill, and the only reason you're not killing is because thou shalt not kill, you are a slave to the law. But if you can say, I'm not killing because killing is wrong. God, my father doesn't want me to kill. I can see that very plainly. He has the purposes of this, 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 and the the further. So, of course, I cannot kill. And then you don't. Now you're mature. Does that make sense? He says he wants to tell you his will because his will is what he wants to tell friends. So, it's not the law that he's trying to get you to keep. 
is to submit and to agree with his will. And you have a hard time agreeing with the will of God when you live for yourself. You're always confused. Is this what God want me to do? I'm not really sure. Does God want me to get this job or the other job? Which one hired you? This one? We'll take that one. Well, should I wait in case the other one? No. If God wants you to have the other one, it would have showed up faster. Now, no. Take that one. Did you ask him why he let the first one pick up, not the second one? No. Just randomly just living for yourself like you know something. And you can't see past your nose. You think the job that pays you more is the best job when it could be the job that pays you less might turn out to be the best job. And you don't even have any idea. And he says, when you're with me, I want you to know this kind of stuff. But you can't know that kind of stuff because you're too busy living for yourself, eating other tree of knowledge you're going to eat because you think you know something with all your degrees. The thing you're supposed to be learning is agreeing and trusting God. He says, in the same way, you're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. There are some worldly principles that you know to be true, right? Like if I don't eat, I'll die. But then God comes along and says, for man's bread is to do the will of the Father. And he says, so you'd rather go back to believing that if you don't eat, you'll die, rather than believing that you'll live because it is the Father's will. And it's not the bread that's sustaining you. There are concepts in God's way of life that are so mind-boggling because they go against the meager concepts of the world. Like, Pastor, if you don't pay your mortgage, they're going to kick you out. I know. The money going to come from somewhere. Where? Mm -hmm. And the world says, well, you better know or you're going to get kicked out. The Bible tells me I don't have to know where it's coming from. All I know is it is coming. And if it's not, then I'll get kicked out and I'll have a smaller place and I'll still be fine. The house is irrelevant. These are trinkets. But it is not my kingdom. It's not my kingdom. They're trinkets. They might take your car, probably. It's a trinket. I'll be driving a Ford Focus. That's fine. It's zippy. Hello. Cheaper to maintain. Whatever the Lord thinks is best, is best. But I may not like it right now. I know. But it always works for my good. See, you can't think like that because you have to be in control based off of what you see and your sight is limited. And the Bible makes it very plain. If you see, then you're blind. Hello? He says, so being immature is like being a slave where somebody has to keep telling you to do something. And I thought, well, why don't people want to be free? It seemed to me that everybody should want to be free. No, they don't. Because some people don't, don't want this. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Justification is more than forgiveness. 
it includes forgiveness of sins. But forgiveness of sins is just to remove the negative. Right? So if I remove the negative, do I have a positive? It's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. If you forgive, if you are forgiven, then your sins are removed and you're back to where Adam and Eve were. They haven't done anything particularly good. They haven't done anything particularly bad. Neutral. Right? Justification adds, it imputes the righteousness of Christ. That's a shouting moment. He gives you the righteousness of Christ. He gives you the type of obedience of Christ. He removes the negative and says you have every act of obedience and every, every will of obedience, every heart of obedience, like Christ had, I'm going to give that to you. That's amazing. Justification says not only am I going to forgive you, but I'm going to add righteousness where there was no righteousness. I'm going to add it. I'm just going to give it to you because you believe in my son. And if sin was imputed to him, then his righteousness might be imputed to you. So now you get to be considered as right as God himself. You get to be considered as right as God. Do you know you? Do you know you presently? I'm not talking about back then. Do you know you presently? You presently should not be imputed and seen as the rightness of God. Not even your best deed. Because your best deed still had a presence of evil right beside it. Do you understand our nature? When we do good, we still have evil thoughts right beside it. In our hearts, we can still conjure up the opposite of good. In our mind, we can still come up with a quick lie. In our hearts, we can still deviate. And he says, but I'm going to look at you with all the positive obedience of my son. I don't want to be saved. You want to do what you want to do and hopefully it looks good. People don't want to be free from bondage because they prefer to work. Even if they're working for mere crumbs, I prefer to say I work for it. That I have some control over what I'm getting. The thing about being in the wilderness, thank you. The thing about being in the wilderness is you're left with nothing and no way to get anything. They were supposed to learn and unlearn the fact that you need to figure it out, that you need to know where to go, that you need to know how it's going to end, that you need to know how you're going to make it. In the wilderness, you were supposed to have figured out that that is no longer your function for living. It was only a function for slavery. It's a function for slavery, but now under him, you don't, ha- you don't need that function anymore. That's why I don't have to think about what's going to happen. Does it matter? No. Somehow it's still going to be good because that's what he promised. Yeah. Yeah. We may endure for a night, but joy. It's going to come in the morning, baby. And since I'm not opposed to pain and suffering, all I got to do is wait with tenacity and fortitude and humility and patience. 
because I recognize what he gave me, something I could never make. Never. Never. Because a holy God got to have holy people. And ain't nothing about me apart from him holy. Nothing. Not, not your biggest human. Oh, I'm going to give my whole check to the church, and you still ain't holy. You still ain't holy. Justification imputes the righteousness, the, the perfectness of God into you by his spirit. Now, this, 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 now this the catcher, okay? This, the Old Testament, they did not get the Holy Spirit in them making them sons. They were under the law. Do you understand? They were just told what to do, right? And their faith in doing that and sacrificing was sufficient, right? Their faith in the law, that, it was, that they were being obedient to the Father, was sufficient. But it could not make them right inside. The law could not give them the righteousness of God. I don't want to help me today. But Christ dying on the cross, being imputed with sin, now gives us the ability to have righteousness within us when we could not do anything to get righteousness. And you've got to have perfect righteousness to be in the face of God. What do you think this is? He is holier than that. Yeah, holiness without no man shall see him. Where are you going to get the holiness from? Can't make your skirt no longer. You still ain't holy. Where are you going to get it from? You going to do your morning devotion every day? Yeah, that'll get it. It's not. Because every time you think to do your morning devotion, you also think, I'm going to stay in the bed. You had to be obedient, not that's just what you desired. You don't 100% desire any of this. You don't 100% desire any good thing because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We don't 100% desire any good thing. There's always something else that we're thinking of that is rising on the inside of us that now we have to be obedient to the will of God, obedient to what he's doing. The law didn't give us that. It couldn't. And we still don't have it. So the father said, I will give you my spirit and make you a son. If you, if my daddy is the king, hello somebody, and you make me a son, it does not matter how many times the enemy of my God points out all the wrong that I do as a son, I am still his son. God don't want to help me today. He can list every sin I ever committed. He can say all the things that I didn't do right, all the times I broke the law. But once my father say, whom the son says free, it's free indeed. I'm still his son. That's amazing. He gave me him so he's not going to reject himself. He said, I'm going to put me in you. I'll put me in you. And I can't reject myself because I am God and I am one. Right? 
the son of God, Jesus, is 100% God because there's no division in God. If he makes a son, it's 100% him. Then he gives his spirit to make us sons. Now we get to be called the mini Jesuses. The baby Jesus is walking around. The sons and daughters, and he looks, thank you, he looks as us as the sons of God, just like he looks at his actual son. Yes. He'll see us and be like, these are all my babies. And Jesus will be like, yup, we are. Like a good big brother. Mm-hmm, we good. Mm-hmm. What y'all been doing? Nothing. We've been doing your will, Father, the whole time. Holy Spirit be like, yup, the whole time. <laughs> Justification gives us. This is the thing about salvation. This is why you die. You have to realize that I don't want to live for myself because at the end of the day my life is nothing if it's not pleasing to him and I can't be pleasing to him if I'm not holy and I have nothing to make holiness as part from Christ yeah. you want that thing you can be free from sin and free from bondage when you desire the thing more greater than the short-term goal in front of you I'll go through the pain to get that, right? I'll endure this for that. It doesn't mean that you don't want the other sin because you're human. It does say there ain't no way I, I want that more. I don't care if my legs shake. I want it more. I looked at my arms the other day. They was flabby. <laughs> I want it more. And how bad you want it is how bad you endure because the race is not given to the swift or the strong, but to the one that endures to the end. He's got a well-written system because it makes sense. Hello? That justification is required because it's the only thing that is the complete opposite. Justification is, we can only be justified by faith, right? Faith is the means to which justification is applied. It's odd to me that justification isn't applied by wisdom or love or humility, right? Justification is, uh, works through and it comes into our hearts by faith. But why not love? I love everybody. Ooh, now I have God's spirit, right? Nope. I'm humble and, and, and submissive. Now I have God's spirit. That would make sense too, wouldn't it? I'm obedient, now I have his spirit. I'm humble, now I have his spirit. I love him and I love others, now I have my spirit. Justification does not come by way of any of those things. Justification is only applied to our hearts by faith. Perplexing. Perplexing. Like, of all the things. Just believing that you are the Christ and you came into my heart and you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. Just believing that will impute righteousness to me? Then I'm justified? Why is that? Why? Because faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite You ready? 
of depending on ourselves. I'm going to do it again. Because faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourself. The sin that got us into this mess was depending on self and what we saw and what we thought and what we felt. And the only way to get out of this mess is to no longer go by what we see, what we think, and what we feel, but to depend completely on God. So my faith in the Lord says, somehow the money's going to come. Well, that means you do nothing? No, I'll be looking for it. <laughs> I ain't doing nothing. I'm like, open that, open that envelope. I may be a check in there. Navy Federal just deposited $18 for some class action suit. I was like, 18, that's moving. Okay, God's, doing, God's in it. <laughs> it, ain't, it, ain't, it ain't the $3,500 I needed, but hey, hey, it's on the way. Okay, it's on the way. That was $18. All right, we're $18 down. My face said, I'm looking for it. I don't spend my time worrying about it. I just make sure that I'm walking in step with the Spirit of God. And it's going to show up. When I need it, it might be difficult. It might be painful. It might be unbearable at times. But thus is my death. Yes. That's good. This is my death. I died to me. Faith is the only way that you can completely depend on God. It shows it. Well, I think I'm supposed to do this. Do you? Well, if I don't do it, then what's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe the Lord wants to do something. Well, if I don't take care of me, who's going to take care of me? Oh, look at you. So alive. you so alive. You can take care of yourself. Oh. Well, if I don't protect me, who's going to protect me? Oh, look at you. You're your own Jehovah Jireh and your own Jehovah Nisi. Ain't you something? And the messed up part about it is, you rather go back to the basic elements of the world where when you work, we'll pay you what we think you deserve rather than having the favor and grace of God that whether you work on time or not, I will always provide for my children. Oh, look at you. Oh, look at you. Look at you. You could be a son and you'd rather be a slave. Because you got to control everything so much. You got to be the boss of you and everybody else. The reason y'all get into arguments and conflicts all the time is because somebody's trying to be the boss of somebody else. I know, because I'm the boss. We got conflict because you're trying to argue with the boss. But when you step with the Spirit of God, you're not arguing with God. Like, this hurts. All right, they hurt. Let me just, let me stay in there. How, is he doing the countdown yet? Are we on five? Oh, my God. Lord, help us. Help me. Help me. Ten. Nine. Come on, a little higher. Eight. Seven. Come on, a little farther. Six. Five. Oh, oh, oh. And just when I'm like, I'm going down. Four, three, two, one. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Woo. He sped it up just for me. Just for me. You could be a son but you prefer to stay bound. You are the person that needs reformation through bondage. This whole wilderness experience is supposed to tell you to mature 
and depending on God, where your life is not going upside down because of some technical external force. Do you understand? Like, let me show you. Something happens on the outside that messes up your life on the inside. That's not supposed to be there. Outside affects outside. Outside does not have the right to affect inside because inside is where the spirit of the Lord dwells. It's a sacred space. Which is why I love when Paul says, when I sin, it is not me that sins, but my flesh. Paul identifies that there is something running in me. He says, but I know me. He identifies who I am is separate from this body of flesh. And the reason why it can be separate is because this body of flesh that is constantly looking after things and worried about things that are external and scarce, that that body is actually going to die and all of my sin is condemned to the flesh. But me, myself, me at my core level, what I really desire about God, how I really want his kingdom, how I really want to be free, how I really want to evangelize, how I really want to serve, how I really want to minister, that part of me belongs to the Father. Standing all over the house. That part of me is who I am. And I'm so glad about it. I'm glad God can see it's me. And not this other flesh part of me. I got parts of me. And I'm glad he sees it's me. And that's the one I want to live with. I will have to fight. I will have to resist. I will have to let go of things that I want. And I may suffer. But I'd rather be my truer self than my flesh. I'd rather serve his kingdom than serve myself. I'd rather put the things of God first 